0: To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash FilmDaily.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for January 9th, 2018. On today's show, we're going to be diving into a little bit of film news, including Hulu's Blumhouse Horror Anthology series. A Kitty Pride movie, Deadpool 2, and The Goldbergs. And in our feature presentation, I'll be talking about my top 10 films of 2017. This is Peter Sorada, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Well, let's just jump into the news because the pool is pretty shallow um the tcas are going on right now which is television critics association and there's been some news coming out of out of there about some tv projects let's first talk about the goldbergs brad what is the what do we know about the goldbergs
2: uh so the goldbergs is a sitcom on abc right now that's in the middle of its fifth season uh it's it's one of my favorite network sitcoms that's on tv right now it's got this uh, you know, fun, charming nostalgia for the 1980s. And it's it's a, it's a solid uh, sitcom as far as network uh, programming goes. Well, back in the fall of 2016, there was word that there was a spinoff in development that was going to flash forward from the 1980s to the 1990s. Uh, and part of it was going to focus on Brian Callen's character from the show. And uh, he plays the gym teacher and coach on the series at the high school that the three kids in the Goldbergs attend. Um, and so the series was to focus on him and another teacher. And so new details about that spinoff have surfaced because the spinoff actually wasn't ordered to series, but they ordered a pilot when the series was initially ordered. So it's already shot and finished. And so they're actually going to air it as a special episode during the current fifth season. Uh, and that's going to happen later this month. So in addition to Brian Callen playing the the gym teacher and coach, uh, Mr. Uh, Malor, You're actually also going to see Tim Meadows back, who he's currently a high school teacher there. And then he's going to be the principal when the 1990s rolls around. And his sister, played by Naya Long, is going to come into play as a a new addition to the staff. And she brings her two daughters with her to enroll in the school. And then uh, tying the series a little bit more deeply into the Goldbergs, Wendy McClendon Covey, who played Beverly Goldberg, or she still plays Beverly Goldberg on the series, the the family's matriarch, would pop in every now and then to kind of stir the pots. And she's always been a little too involved with uh, stuff at the school, despite the fact that at this point in the timeline of the series, her all of her kids will have graduated high school.
1: This is interesting because, you know, sometimes they, they do these television spin offs and sometimes you'll like have a character introduced on the main series and then. Uh, I think like Family Matters was done that way, right?
2: Um, yeah. Well, I think, yeah. Well, Steve Urkel was a character who appeared first, I think, on Full House. Yeah. And, and then, then they, they spun off into Family Matters. Yeah.
1: But this, um, is, this is the first time it's ever been done where they tried to create that sequ- or, like that uh, spin off TV series, and it didn't work, but they put that pilot.
2: Well,. Uh, Yes and no. Uh, Well, I mean, kind of. There's actually a weird middle ground here because um, back when The Office was still on, they created a backdoor pilot for a series that would have been called The Farm that would have followed uh, Dwight and his family working on The Beat Farm. And there was an episode that aired, I forget during what season of The Office, uh, where a lot of it focuses on Dwight and his extended family and The Beat Farm. And that was supposed to be a setup for the eventual spinoff that never actually got ordered. But this is the first time that a pilot was ordered and shot and will be airing during a season uh, with the hopes that maybe audiences will like it enough that ABC will reconsider passing on ordering it. That's a, At least that's what uh, Goldberg's creator, Adam F. Goldberg, was hoping when he talked about it at the uh, Television Critics Association panel.
1: I don't know, that's that, that's kind of a cool concept, Um I, I, I'm not sure if that situation will ever present itself again, yeah. but uh, yeah. <laughs> but let, let's go into something else in the TV news, and that is Hulu, Hulu is greenlighting a monthly horror anthology series. Ben, what do we know? So we don't know much about this
0: right now, but uh, Variety reported that Hulu has given the green light to a completely original new horror anthology show from Bloomhouse, or I'm sorry, Blumhouse Television. Um, this is like a first of its kind deal. So the the show is going to air one episode per month for a year for its first season. Um, we do know that the first episode is supposed to debut in October, so the first season will conclude in October of 2019. Um, one episode, one episode a month. We don't know anything about uh, which writers are going to be involved, which you know, producers, uh, let alone actors, star, you know, directors, anything like that. It's basically just a concept at this point. Um, they do have, you know, obviously, you know, ten months to uh, to sort of get something together before the first one is supposed to debut. So I think that's plenty of time. Um, it's fascinating that they're planning on doing it one every month instead of you know, just dumping a whole season like Netflix does, or even uh, other Hulu shows do like weekly episodes. This is like a a sort of a weird middle ground. Um, You know, obviously when you think about horror anthology series, uh, Black Mirror is probably one of the first things that comes to mind. Um, New batches of, of episodes of Black Mirror are generally released, you know, like a little more than a year apart. So, uh, you know, everybody is excited about them and sort of like uh, consumes them, you know, binges them and, and then moves on to the next thing. I'm wondering if this uh, one episode a month schedule is going to be enough to sustain audience excitement over the course of an entire year. Um, do you guys have any thoughts about that?
1: Well, Hulu is kind of once. St- one foot into the future and one foot into the past, I think. And they, they have a lot of series uh, that I think they, they still release episodically. Um, so I'm not sure that that is – it's that they – I don't know. I, I still think that they think more in the traditional line of releasing things is what I think. Um, I'm not sure if that's the case. And it it should be noted that, you know, Blumhouse has done some great horror, uh, you know, in the past couple of years. So it'd be interesting to see what their take on an anthology horror series is. And on top of that, um, I'm wondering if you are really – do we know that these are going to be like – hour-long episodes, did they release like what the running time is going to be? So
0: we don't know the running time. I think the only real information that we know is that these uh, 12 stories are supposed to be self-contained but, quote, some narrative device or structural device is expected to connect to them. So there might be some sort of overarching thing that's that sort of uh, maybe they're all set in the same universe or something along those lines. But we don't know anything about a running time or anything like that yet.
1: But it just seems interesting to me because if if these episodes were like an hour and a half long, then they're basically releasing a direct to television movie each month. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which is is kind of a cool concept. Um, I mean, I guess it's just like the movie of the week concept. but monthly. Yeah. And then,
0: you know, like uh, like you mentioned, like the horror in that in that uh, genre, there's been a lot of stuff like the VHS movies, for example, are sort of like this concept but distilled down into movie form so they're just like spreading things out over the course of a year and seeing what happens i guess yeah
1: well let the wait and see what the what the high concept of of this uh anthology series is let's jump into film let's jump into uh some superhero news deadpool director tim miller is developing a kitty pride movie brad what do we know
2: yeah, so uh, as we know, Tim Miller did a great job introducing Deadpool to audiences. It uh, became a huge success despite the fact that it was an R-rated movie. And now it seems like 20th Century Fox is interested in having Tim Miller hopefully introduce another successful movie that uh, would presumably be set in the uh, X-Men universe or have ties to it uh, because it would be a Kitty Pride movie. Uh, if that name sounds familiar, that's because... Ellen Page played this character, who's also known as Shadowcat, in X-Men The Last Stand and X-Men Days of Future Past. Uh, She's a character who has the ability to phase uh, between matter, so she can basically walk through walls, walk through people. Um, She can also touch other people and things and bring them with her through walls and through people as, as well. So apparently, Tim Miller is developing a solo movie that would focus solely on her... As a character. Um, what's cool about this is that Kitty Pride's actually a, an awesome character within the realm of Marvel Comics. Uh, she's not just this X-Men side character, even though that, that's kind of how she initially started. She was like, kind of like this kid sister character, but she expanded into being uh, such a rich dynamic character that has quite the fan base, and she's seen a variety of interesting stories in the comics themselves. Uh, she was a big part of uh, seeing the X-Men and Fantastic Four fight. Um, to the point where it was actually Dr. Doom who tried to save her. Uh, she has a history with Guardians of the Galaxy because she once married Peter Quill and actually took on the name of Star-Lord for a while while he had to deal um, <laughs> with some, some business elsewhere. Uh, so, And she's also uh, had meetings with the New Mutants. She's been a, a key part of the X-Men at, at times, even being the leader of the team. So there are a lot of different avenues that we can explore with this character, but you also kind of have to think about the fact that Fox is in the middle of getting purchased by Disney, so this development, the development of this movie feels kind of moot because we don't really know what Disney and eventually Marvel Studios will have planned for the X-Men characters and any of the Marvel characters they're getting back by purchasing 20th Century Fox. So this might be a case where this is a movie that is in development but maybe won't move forward. There's always a chance that maybe Tim Miller is developing this movie with an eye towards being part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe but even then if that doesn't jibe with what Kevin Feige wants to do with these characters then it might not work so it's 20th Century Fox is kind of in this weird limbo right now where it's kind of hard to tell what's going to happen with some of these characters who are getting established especially in the next year or two you know we have new mutants coming this year uh, which is supposed to have some ties to the X Men universe. Um, we have another X Men movie coming, and there's supposed to be a Gambit movie that is sometime shooting sometime this year. Which I'm not going to believe is happening until it's actually in front of cameras, and maybe not even then. Um, so yeah, it's it's this, this could be interesting. I think that you know giving Kitty Pryde her own movie is cool because she's one of the more uh, prominent and popular female characters from the X Men universe who isn't already part of the primary. Uh, X Men team that we're continuing to follow in the next movie. So you know, there's there's some hope here that this could be cool, but I'm just not so sure that it's actually going to happen.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of on the same uh, same page there. Uh, in, in one movie you didn't mention it's Deadpool two, which is already in the can, right? And, and uh, there, you know, was recently some controversy uh, 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 surrounding T J Miller and some allegations of some. Uh, Harassment and assault. Uh, Ben, is this going to affect Deadpool 2?
0: Yeah, so in the wake of all the money in the world and Ridley Scott's decision to remove Kevin Spacey from that movie and replace him with Christopher Plummer, uh, some were sort of expecting that maybe uh, the filmmakers behind Deadpool Pool 2 would do the same thing with T.J. Miller, because as you mentioned uh, last month, the Daily Beast published the story in which a woman came forward and accused T.J. Miller of sexual assault. So um, I guess the important distinction to make here is that uh, I guess Kevin Spacey came out and admitted to his behavior. And, um, as far as I can tell right now, TJ Miller is still denying, uh, this claim. So maybe this is the case of the studio, not wanting to jump the gun or something like that. I'm not quite sure.
1: With Kevin Spacey, wasn't there a a bunch of people saying that, you know, that, that sparked a bunch of people to come out and say they, they have been harassed by him?
0: Um, I know that Anthony Rapp the, yeah. the guy who's on Star Trek Discovery Sort of started the whole thing And I think Yeah, I think you're right I think there were some whispers of, of uh, You know, other stories and stuff like that Throughout the years um, That sort of resurfaced in the wake of that But um, but yeah, so yeah, uh, In any case I, I think I'm
1: talking uh, specifically about Like there was uh, some Some people that were working with him On House of Cards That were saying that his behavior had not changed Or something like yes. that Yeah
0: Yes, that's right Yeah, I remember that Um Yeah, so I guess Rotten Tomatoes uh, asked Lauren Shuler Donner, who is the longtime uh, producer of the X-Men movies, uh, if um, T.J. Miller was going to be replaced in Deadpool 2, and she said, quote, we're in the final editing, I don't think so. So uh, as Chris Evangelista writes in his article at SlashFilm.com, really Scott's decision sort of seems like almost like a line in the sand for future filmmakers. Like, yes, reshoots are probably not going to be easy to organize and probably not going to be something that is uh (laughs) that's cheap for the studio to do but if if a filmmaker like Ridley Scott who's like what 80 years old or something like that can uh (laughs) replace a major character in his movie in something like 19 days then I you know he proved that it's possible it is it is a thing it is an option that's on the table now so I don't know I guess. This is a tough one because T.J. Miller is, is denying uh, these accusations, so I, I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts about this? Well,
2: well, I I, mean, I I think that the comparison between the reshoots for All the Money in the World and possible reshoots for Deadpool 2 are a little bit difficult to make because we're talking about reshooting some scenes in a drama that doesn't really require much in the vein of special effects or...
0: Uh, yeah, yeah but
1: how big of a part do you think tj miller has in this movie like if it's anything like deadpool one it's you know a couple yeah scenes. that's
0: that's the thing is he was in the bar for like the majority of deadpool isn't he's, one isn't,
2: isn't he supposed to be in it in this one more i could have sworn that i there was something a while where like tj miller was talking about filming some kind of action sequence for the movie or, or yeah. something like that i don't know but even even, even so like Deadpool two is such a bigger production than all the money in the world that it's, it's still going to be more expensive,
0: but, yeah, and, but I, mean, I I think you're right from a visual, per, a visual effects perspective, but I think Plummer's role is like a, a key role in the movie. And, and even if, um, TJ Miller has a larger part in Deadpool two than he did in the first one, it's still going to be like a, a pretty small, you know, comparatively speaking, right. a pretty small thing, but go ahead
2: on the more controversial side of this. Uh, because TJ Miller is denying it, and I, I, I believe he only has one accuser right now, which is not to say that you shouldn't believe somebody who only has one accuser, but I, I believe that what he, the statement that he made uh, through his Instagram or whatever when it came out has, like, um, there, there's a history with this person that I believe that his current wife-slash-girlfriend is also aware of and where it came from, so it seems like maybe this isn't quite the same kind of situation that we've seen pop up with you know, uh, sexual assault and harassment where there are multiple cases and this is like a a surefire thing where some action needs to be taken. That's, That's just me from an outside you know perspective looking in and like seeing how the situation might be different and why it's being treated differently but you know i don't don't know yeah
0: yeah i know what you mean because his wife definitely is like you know supporting him in in denying these claims and and they are definitely presenting a uh, a united front against um, these allegations so and obviously we don't know the truth of the matter and we don't know you know what he did or didn't do or anything like that but um and there there are definitely stories being cast about both people you know from <laughs> like grenades lobbed from both sides of the fence <laughs> yeah. essentially so uh it's tough to to be on the outside looking in and just trying to judge the situation objectively when we don't have all the information but um i guess that's probably the position that that fox is taking right now like we don't really know all the all the information so i guess we're just going to sort of Stay frozen in place and not make a decision one way or the other.
1: Yeah, and you you'd think a company that's being sold to a company like Disney might be you know uh, more careful about the you know be more proactive about replacing T.J. Miller. Um, I I mean I'm not sure. Obviously, the government has to approve this deal, so I'm not sure if the deal like how that works. If Disney's actively involved with Deadpool 2 at this point. Uh, right. I would think they probably aren't um, But uh, you think Fox if you know wanting no trouble with the the mouse house might, you know, make that move but I, on the other side of the the coin TJ Miller, you know has a relationship with Walt Disney animation um, So I don't know
0: <laughs> Yeah, and then there's also the point that Chris raises in his article, which is uh, TJ Miller is also supposed to have a pretty significant role in um, ready player one which comes out in March and that's Steven Spielberg's next movie that's going to be a big thing, you know. Are feel we're going to have the ability to, you know, take. Uh take t.j. M- Miller out of that film as well as are we gonna you know Sp- Spielberg with...
1: made a movie that is one of the best movies of the year uh, according to m- many people in under like six months I I think he could replace t.j. Miller oh, if, he, he definitely if he wanted to
0: good yeah it's just a matter of like whether or not more information comes to light to justify that decision so we'll have to see and, and obviously we'll keep you guys posted as soon as we
1: hear anything more okay before we get into our future presentation we're gonna leave Ben here Ben where can more people find your work online you can find me at SlashFilm.com, and you can track me down on Twitter
0: at Ben Pears.
2: All right, so let's move on to our feature presentation. And that's right. This isn't Peter Serretta saying this. It's Brad Oman. And that's because today we're going to have Peter Serretta run through his own personal top 10 movies of 2017. The rest of the Slash Film staff has already gone through their lists, and Peter has patiently guided us through s- our s- list.
1: Some, Some of which we have not published on this podcast yet, but they are recorded. Yes. You will be hearing them.
2: That's true. Uh, so we're going to run through Peter's top 10 movies of 2017. There are some very interesting choices here. Uh, movies that I, I wasn't expecting. Some that will probably have uh, many readers and fellow cinephiles hanging their mouth open in shock. <laughs> you know what? Be- be- before,
1: before we get into this, Brad, I, I want to talk. I have a brief discussion with you of like, what should a top 10 of the year list be? Should it be my favorite movies of the year? Should it be the most important movies of the year? The best made movies of the year?
2: That's an interesting question. Um, you know, and I—it's—it's it's definitely up to each individual person making the list. I know for me personally, when I'm putting together my list, it's kind of a mix of a lot of those things. Uh, you know, I—I think about the movies that uh, moved me the most, that have stuck with me long after seeing them, especially if I saw them earlier in the year and I'm still thinking about them when it comes time to make my year-end list. Uh, you know, movies that have something to say, uh, movies that are that that have the pieces that make a great movie, great writing, great performances, uh, usually bring something new to the table. Um, and, you know, and a lot of times, you know, you'll see movies on top 10 lists from various critics. You'll see a lot of the same movies pop up. And yeah. a lot of that... I, I think is- if
1: you look, it's the same 15 movies on everybody's list, or almost everybody's list. And maybe there's one or two that aren't. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, uh, yeah. I- is that because uh critically, it's universally agreed that these are the great movies of this year.
2: I mean that definitely comes into play and it's but but a lot of that is because you know those are movies that are that are great and and people flock to them and agree on them because they they have the qualities that a lot of people are looking for in great movies um but I think that I, I that's what I like of going through lists is you always will see you know maybe one or two rogue picks. are different because those are the movies that resonated with that specific person like uh me i think i'm one of the the very few people who probably put brigsby bear on their top 10 just because I, i love that movie and it stuck with me ever since i saw it at sundance in january of last year so you know it's 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 definitely a mix of you know personal taste, but also knowing uh what movies are important and what makes a good movie and 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 that kind of thing so but yeah, again, it's all you know. It's it's yeah. all up to your own your own tastes.
1: Well, with my list, I like to pick my favorite movies of the year, which I don't think are the best movies of the year, uh, or the best made movies of the year, or the most important movies of the year. If this was the most important movies of the year, Get Out would be on there. The Post would be on there. If this was the best made movies of the year, Dunkirk would be on there. Uh, um, I, maybe I'm spoiling my list, but those movies are not on uh, on my list. And I will say this. The only movie that I have not seen this year that I am uh unsure if it would have made my list or not is yeah. Yeah, uh, oh, no it, it, uh call me by your name I have not seen yet and uh it is my 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 biggest shame of the moment that I have not seen that film but uh that might have very well made my list but that is that is the only movie that I feel like probably could have made my list that I have not seen yet.
2: All right, so we've done a lot of tap dancing, so let's just get right into it. Peter, your number 10 movie is John Wick Chapter 2.
1: Yeah, and I'm not the only slash filmer to put this on their list. Jacob loved this film. Uh, You know, John Wick came out of nowhere. It was kind of like this gritty action film that I don't think anybody was expecting to love. And uh, this film, I'm not sure the action is better than the first one, but uh, I came out of this film – being so blown away by the world building of this of this movie and how it kind of took this kind of like um you know John Wick could have very well just ended up being like you know one of those action movies that plays on TNT And your dad watches. Do you know what I mean? Like, and John Wick Chapter Two opens up that world, uh, creates this world of assassins and hitman that you know I want to see more of. I was like itching to see more of, and I was uh, just loving swimming in that in that in those waters. Uh, And um, you know, I know I know it's too early to say. We haven't seen John Wick Three. We don't know what John Wick Three is going to be. But I, I, I'm, you know. I'm going to point to the fences here. I I think if John Wick 3 is anywhere near as good as the first two, we're going to have one of the best action trilogies of our generation here with the John Wick movies.
2: Yeah, this I I totally agree with you. Um uh, this movie has been playing uh fairly frequently on HBO recently, and I I keep uh rewatching it here and that's one of the movies that I've just kind of been tossing on in the background pretty much whenever it's on. And uh you I agree with you wholeheartedly about the world building. It's he's they've created such a cool Little universe that these assassins occupy that um as outlandish as some of the aspects of it are what i like about it is that it feasibly you know could kind of be existing underneath our noses in the real world because we just don't pay attention and we you know because all the all these little pieces you know take place in the nooks and crannies of the world that exists around us yeah. um so yeah I, I i love the john wick movies as well
1: by the way, I've gotten some criticism, uh, not only for this list, but like, uh, people have been listening to Slash Film daily and saying that, like, you know, I've been piping in with my, uh, negativity over the, you know, people's list choices. And I think I, you know, I have been giving you a hard time on your list and, uh, <laughs> whatever. But I think it was equally enthusiasm and negativity. I just want to say that, like, my point wasn't to, uh, Bring anybody down for their choices. It was to uh, to you know add a discussion and reflection, and I think that's what you're you're doing here with me today. um sure.
2: yeah. uh, So what's your uh, your number nine movie? Is another sequel from from this year, uh, a big blockbuster. What is it?
1: Guardians of Galaxy Volume Two. And uh, honestly, if you had told me last year that this movie wouldn't have been in my top five, I wouldn't have believed you. Um, there's a couple you know movies on this list like that, and uh, Guardians of Galaxy Volume Two. Uh, again, it's, you know, not quite as great as that first film. Uh, it's not as funny. It's not, the music might not be as good, you know, it's deeper cuts for sure, but it's one hell of an entertaining movie. And, uh, I've watched this movie a few times since seeing it in theaters and, uh, you know, it's, uh, Not a movie that, like, I instantly fell in love with. I had to, like, see it a few... I I think I wrote in this piece that it's kind of like that track on your favorite band's album that you didn't instantly fall in love with, but somehow wins your heart after, you know, you spin that record a dozen times. And I feel like every time uh, I watch this movie, it leaves me in tears. I know you talked about uh, some of the moments from this film in in, uh, our best moments of the year, and it... uh, I don't know it, it it is a good movie and I I think um the more and more I think about it the more it grows in in my heart.
2: Yeah, it's uh this is a movie that I I definitely enjoyed. Um and I I would almost dare to say that I was a little disappointed that it wasn't good enough to make uh my top 10. It uh it actually wasn't even in like my the next 5 of my honorable mentions. Um because as much as I do love it, I I just feel like it didn't quite measure up to the first movie for me um and it's it's still still a great sequel like well, you know there's plenty of great moments in it but yeah there there's something about it that didn't resonate with me quite as much as the first one did after i saw it. and it, it might just be because that that shock of you know seeing such an original comic book movie like that and something so different has has worn off a bit um but yeah it just didn't uh did not stick with me as much as it did for you
1: yeah no, no i mean i definitely felt that under uh, that disappointment but it has um I don't know. It has grown on me over the year. But let's get some... uh,
2: it's, it seems like Marvel uh, did some good with you this year because your eighth movie <laughs> is another one of their movies.
1: Yes. Yeah, Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, you know, I, I, for the longest time, Sam Ramsey's Spider-Man 2 was my favorite superhero film of all time. And uh, as much as I love that movie, reading the comics, Peter Parker in that movie is not the same Peter Parker we know from the comics. Uh, the amazing Spider-Man kind of got Peter Parker uh, right, but the movies and stories as a whole were kind of a failure. Um, this movie, I think, is the first movie that actually gets Peter Parker right, and it is, a, it is a very good film. Um, it's, uh... You know... <laughs> The action in this film is not that exciting. It's not that great. But what does it for me in this movie is the John Hughes high school uh, grounded take on the story. And whenever we have the moments that it is in Peter Parker's life and his the conflict of him wanting to be a superhero uh, it, it is the, the greatness of this movie. Uh, you know, it has that. Uh, I love how John Watts plays with these like universal moments from her childhood, like the fear of meeting uh your first girlfriend's parents for the first time uh in that sequence you know i we, i know we've already talked about it but it might be m- one of the most nail-bitingly tense uh fun 5 minutes i had in the cinema this year um and i think for that alone it earns its way on my top 10 list um but i i am excited to see more of this character i hope marvel doesn't go bigger i hope uh i almost wish that the homecoming the, that the, the the third act had take place at the homecoming dance and not like in the skies. And, you know, I don't feel Marvel has to go big with Spider-Man. It's it's exciting to go small.
2: For sure. Uh, I also enjoyed Spider-Man homecoming and uh, I do agree with you that I think that it was better than guardians of the galaxy volume two. But it uh, was not quite as good as all of the rest of the uh, blockbusters that ended up higher on my list uh, at the end of the year, especially Logan. I think, uh, I don't know why, but it seems like a lot of people forgot about Logan towards the end of the year um, when, I don't know, it it stuck with me for the entire year. So, yeah, that's just me. Uh, What's at number seven, Peter?
1: Number seven on my list is Blade Runner 2049. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, Denis' work, and, um, you know, I wasn't... I like the original Blade Runner, but it it is the film that visually has kind of, like, stuck with me, but it's not a film that I return to, like, every year, like a lot of people I know. You know, it's kind of long, and it's it's not my cup of tea. Uh, Blade Runner 2049, I felt, was a more compelling story than the original, and I love the ideas it explores um, with his virtual girlfriend and uh, just, like... You know, it's a shame that more people didn't see this movie. I know that they tried to sell it on its visuals and tone and not give much away with the stories or characters. And uh, apparently that wasn't compelling enough to sell tickets. I, I know I've said this before, but every frame of this movie you could frame and put on your wall. It looks that good. It's, uh, even if you aren't uh, taken uh, by the story, it's like a visual feast.
2: Absolutely, yeah. This this is one of the most gorgeous movies of the year. I'm sure, uh, or at least I hope that it will get uh, a nomination for best cinematography at the Academy Awards. Um, it is visually stunning. I didn't like this quite as much as the original Blade Runner, but I, I still think it's great. I, a couple of my friends actually um, gave me some crap for not putting it in my top ten, um, even though it was one of my. Uh, it was one of the honorable mentions, not one of the ones I wrote about extensively, but. Uh, cause I, I did really enjoy it and I couldn't stop thinking about it, but it wasn't something that I felt immediately compelled to rewatch over and over again. Um, and there, I, I don't know, it, I just had a hard time falling in love with it as much as I appreciate it. So like, as, mu- as yeah. much as I, you know, understood that it was, uh, there's great filmmaking on display and I really admired it for what it was, what it was doing. I just didn't, I wasn't as enamored with it as everybody else was.
1: Uh, well, I think that would probably be a good way to segue into my number six, which is Star Wars The Last Jedi. Um, I think, uh, you know, this does make my top 10. It is a Star Wars movie. Star Wars is so much of my life. Um, you know, it, it's just such a part of me. And uh, even though I wasn't taken with this as much as everybody else, it still does make my top 10. I do think um, I do think it's a, a better film, a standalone film on its own than it is a part of this trilogy. I think, uh, some of the things it does, I think we're going to see our choices that, uh, will hurt the overall three, three film arc of this film, uh, or this series. I mean, um, but, uh, you know, I've had more conversations about star Wars the last Jedi in the last, what is it like three, four weeks than any movie released this year. Uh, it's, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see it again. I've only seen it three times at this point. I want to see it another time or two, uh, before it hits, uh, exits theaters. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to get into spoilers, but I, I do have a lot of problems with it, but it's it still, is such a beautiful, surprising, uh, emotional, maybe unintentionally emotional film. Yeah.
2: Yeah, this uh, we actually had Star Wars: The Last Jedi in the exact same position on our list. Mine also came in at number six, and yeah, regardless of uh, whether you like it or, or not, I think one of the coolest things about the Star Wars movie is having a Star Wars movie that is uh, worth having these kinds of discussions about. You know, I, I have a couple friends who fall more on the side of uh, being a little bit annoyed with some of the, the decisions Ryan Johnson made with uh, characters and the Force and that kind of thing. Um, but even so, they've appreciated the kind of conversations that we've been able to have because of it. We've had very extensive talks about you know what we like and what didn't, and why we think it doesn't work, or uh, and all that kind of thing. And so, having a Star Wars movie that is good enough and warrants this kind of discussion, I think, is is great. It's just nice to have a movie that sparks you know a lot of talk between cinephiles.
1: you, you know another thing I've realized recently is I think I like movies that ask questions more than present answers <laughs> and, and maybe that's why i like force awakens more than like last jedi um uh, oh, yeah but uh yeah i guess let's get on to my number five which is war for the planet of the apes when which when i saw the film i proclaimed it was my favorite movie of the 2017 i think i've cooled on it a little bit uh caesar's last stand is emotional it's smart it's filled with everything i love about this franchise um, and I, I still think that this might be one of the best movie trilogies in, in, in decades. Uh, but, uh, I think at the end of the day, the, the, the Western style road trip adventure somehow doesn't quite match the riveting dawn of the planet of the apes, uh, middle part. Uh, you know, it's not as, I don't know. It's, uh, this film is more poetic and less confrontational than the epic title suggests, Uh, You know, there really isn't a big war at the center of this film. Uh, But, you know, the film does say a lot about war, which I I think is interesting and smart and uh, just great. Uh, But uh, and obviously the Andy Serkis's performance is seamlessly translated to screen by the Wizards of Weta, uh, resulting in one of the best performances of this year. Uh, I am going I'm part of a critics association and tomorrow night I'm going to be presenting an award uh, that uh, I helped champion uh at this uh award ceremony which is the best visual effects performance and uh I- I'm, I'm happy that it's going to be an award that is going uh to both Andy circus and weta for the for, for the performance uh their collaboration together for that performance
2: yeah the the visual effects and the performance capture technology uh used to bring the planet of the apes prequel franchise to life is incredible. It's it's amazing to see how much it's progressed since Rise of the Planet of the Apes uh, debuted in two thousand nine, and it's just incredible to see characters that are created digitally look so lifelike and that make you completely forget that what you're watching isn't real. Um, even you know with today's advanced technology, there's plenty of times when special effects don't look good, but every single frame that any of the apes are on on camera, it's just it, it's gorgeous it's it's unbelievably so yeah that's cool that you guys are doing that
1: yeah and uh number four on my list the florida project i know that this film has been you know on the top of many of the top 10 of the years uh where where did it place on your list brad
2: uh this came in at number two for me
1: number two so it's pretty high uh you know, uh, I go to Disneyland and Disney World a lot. I, uh, every time I'm there, I, I, you know, you drive by the cheap tourist spots and the motels that surround the Disney property. And I always wondered, you know, who goes there, who lives there, who works there. Uh, filmmaker Sean Baker finally tells this story and he sets it in, uh, from the point of view of, This precocious six-year-old played brilliantly by newcomer Brooklyn Prince. Uh, This isn't the typical slum porn indie drama. uh, Thanks to the brilliant framing, which uh, presents the story from the eyes of the children uh, who don't uh, always realize how shitty of a situation they are in. And I think that's the brilliance of this movie. That's the heartbreaking uh, quality of this film. Uh, The only reason I think this film isn't a little higher and I know we've talked about this briefly is I, I'm not sure I love the ending of this film I love it in its intention but I don't love it in its execution
2: yeah that's something that we, we've talked about uh, in the group slack um, when we've been talking about the Florida project and it's something that I'll definitely disagree with you about just because <laughs> I think that I, I think that just within the confines of how the movie is framed being you know Uh, an indie movie that is shot on this low budget i don't think that it could i think it would be almost disingenuous to have the ending be even more heightened and more obvious in its presentation of this being essentially a dream sequence a dream ending where uh mooney gets her happy yeah yeah (laughs) i was gonna say
1: we shouldn't spoil spoil it but um Yeah, let's go on to my number three, which I know is one of your favorite movies of the year, and that is The Big Sick. Uh, The Big Sick uh, is a movie that I also saw at Sundance. It's one of those films that was so funny that people were laughing over, you know, uh, I would say 10% of the film. I couldn't hear it the first time I saw it because, you know, the laughter was so loud at that Sundance Film Festival. Uh, It is uh, exactly the kind of film I go to Sundance to see. It's like the... um, You know, I'm pretty sure people know what this is about, but it's it's about Camille and his uh, real life experience. Uh, He met and dated a white woman named Emily who uh, he couldn't get the approval of his uh, traditional Pakistani uh, family. And uh, when Emily uh, contracts uh, the severe illness that puts her kind of in a coma, uh, Camille finds himself forced to be there. For the girl uh, confronting her parents, and also confronting uh, you know his family's expectations, uh, you know I think this movie is so uh, full of heart. It's so f- hilarious. It's touching. The authenticity of. It's, it's just such a charming movie uh you know and it's a movie you can see right now in amazon prime if you have amazon prime uh it would make a great double feature with jonathan levine's Fifty Fifty. i i just love all the actors involved i love it's just such a great film and i'm actually surprised that this isn't my number one in the year but it uh yeah it kind of fell to my number three
2: yeah it was uh it was tough for me to figure out exactly where to put this on my list, and um, it ended up at number three for me as well. But it's um, in addition to it just being great and hilarious and, and touching and all that. I think that it's it also has a, a realm of importance to it simply because while a lot of people will see this as just another funny romantic comedy, you know, better better than your average rom com sort of movie, the fact that it focuses on a Pakistani American character as the lead and introduces you know these different uh, a, a different culture that you don't normally see in these kinds of movies and ties it into a story that is so touching and unique and, and authentic that that makes it stand out even more as as a movie as opposed to just being oh that was a good romantic comedy like it's something that it, it tells a story that we don't often get to see because of uh the, the lack of diversity that there's been Throughout the years in Hollywood and so it's cool to see a movie like this especially in such traditional format be so good uh, you know better than a movie like this usually has any right to be
1: yeah and I, I think you're right about that it being so unique and specific to Camille and his experience and it's not something that. I feel like would ever be written as a fictional, you know, effort by Hollywood. Do you know what I mean? It it just feels so authentic. Um, and yeah, it's great. And that, that leads into my number two, which is lady bird. Um, you know anybody that's been reading my work or listening to me for a good period of time knows that i am a coming coming of age drama fanatic uh i am a sucker for those kind of films and uh yet still ladybird somehow surprised me um there's not been a better film about the transition from adolescence to adulthood since almost famous in my mind uh, you know, the performances at the center of this are so good, heartfelt, charming, funny. Uh, the, 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 movie, it's just such a moving story. Uh, you know, I know we've already said this, but it's a period film set in the early 2000s, which, which makes me feel so old. Um, the film, uh, succeeds due to its authenticity it lends its characters in the relatable situations uh many of which have become a rite of passage in all of our lives that it depicts uh i think uh the the most surprising thing here is Greta Gerwig who you know is a fantastic, fantastic actress but seeing her solo directorial debut uh this this positions her as a filmmaker and artist to watch uh for years to come i i would be shocked if uh one day she does not produce a work that is you know that that wins best picture um it just like it 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 was one of those movies that kind of just blew me away
2: it seems like this maybe could be the year that it does happen it's not necessarily a front runner for best picture but it did win uh the golden glow for best musical or comedy and it is certainly an awards favorite right now so it's I feel likely that it will, at the very least, end up nominated for Best Picture this year. Um, yeah, its I, I actually did love this movie, and it w- it was on my honorable mentions. Um, I'm not sure what it was that didn't make me love it quite as much as everybody else did, because I don't have any complaints about it, really. But I just think that there were other movies that made a little bit more of a, a lasting impact. Um, but the one thing that I love about this movie is so much is the how real the relationship is between Saoirse Ronan and Laurie Metcalf as mother and daughter. Because I have a mother and a sister who go back and forth being hot and cold <laughs> and like, have this love-hate relationship with each other. And I was, I was like – I told my mom, my sister, was like, you guys need to go see this movie immediately.
1: <laughs> yeah, but n- not even th- their relationship but the relationship of her friends, everybody at school. It just feels oh, for so sure. – yeah. Yeah, uh, authentic and you know it's one of those movies I, I think a lot of these movies on this list you know are good for because they did a particular thing better than anything else you know you know like that there there's some kind of angle on why they're on my list but I think for ladybird it it's just on my list because it did the coming of age drama like it didn't do anything different than other coming of age movies did it just did it so well
2: that's fair yeah uh yeah. so so let's get to your number one pick, which I think is a pretty bold one. Uh, <laughs> simply, be- simply because a, I, I haven't really seen it pop up on uh, any people's lists. I, I don't think, at least none of the ones that I have read. Um, and Brad, surprised- I think it's
1: it's popped up on as many top tens lists as V. Bear popped up on top
2: ten <laughs> lists. At least on the Slash Film <laughs> site, you're 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 absolutely right. So, what is your number one pick, Peter? Uh,
1: my number one pick is Ingrid, Ingrid Goes West. Uh, you know. What's surprising about this film is uh I saw this at Sundance and it wasn't even my favorite film of the Sundance Film Festival. The Big Sick was. Uh so why is Ingrid Goes West, you know, num- my number one film of the year over uh The Big Sick? Uh I think it's because this film occupied my mind ever since. It's the film that I find myself recommending to most uh, uh people in these end of the year conversations and and it might be because most people Uh, didn't see this film. Uh, it's, it might be a bit of a, I don't know how to put this, but like, you know how when you find a TV show and you discover it and no one else has heard of it, I feel like that was what happened with Downtown Abbey or Black Mirror. I feel like, like, you kind of take an ownership over it. It might be a bit of that, but, um, it's, uh, somehow floated to the top, uh, even in the year when there was a new Star Wars film released. uh. For those of you who haven't seen it, Ingrid Goes West is a hilarious, dark comedy version of single white female set in the age of social media idolatry. Aubrey Plaza plays Ingrid, a not so stable woman who becomes obsessed with an Instagram celebrity played by Elizabeth Olsen, who appears to have this perfect life. Ingrid uh, uses her inheritance to move to Los Angeles and plans to befriend Taylor in her in real life. Uh, The result is more dark comedy than psychological thriller. Uh, it is hilarious. and sometimes horrifying situations. Um, I think what for me makes this year, the, uh, the this movie, the, the best of this year is uh, it just has such a wickedly smart commentary on our social media obsessed world. Uh, you know, this film is a comedy first. It's not trying to become this very important film saying something about our society but it somehow provides a perfect uh canvas to represent our times uh you know no it's not about trump politics diversity or any of these issues that we talk about on a daily basis uh but instead it's about the platforms on which we talk about all of that it it's about us as a society and how technology in our pockets has changed our habits and happiness it's about us appearing to be happier than we actually are you know via our social media um in you know ensemble cast is perfect Aubrey Plaza is at her best O'Shea Jackson Jr. I think is like the next big thing I know he was in um Straight Outta Compton but I think this movie established him establishes him as a charmer to watch out for and uh you know I I also got to say I live in LA and I live in a world of social media. So maybe that is why this film kind of connected more with me. You know, I live in kind of uh, a vapid place <laughs> around vapid people. Uh, but I, I do, uh, you know, I do think I, I'm not sure if if you're out there listening to this and you haven't seen this movie, I do know that you will enjoy this. It might not be on your top 10 list. It's probably won't be on your number one, but I would highly recommend Ingrid goes West.
2: Yeah, you should absolutely seek it out. Uh, this was a movie that I def- definitely enjoyed when I saw it at Sundance last year as well. And while, while I definitely don't think it's the the best or my favorite movie of the year, I would absolutely recommend it to, to anybody who's looking to be entertained and uh, is looking for a, a nice skewering of how obsessed we've become with uh, social media.
1: Yeah, and it probably has the funniest sex scene of the year, too. So, anyways, uh, that that does it for today's show. We're going long. Uh, Brad, where can people find more of your work online? You can find me at slashfilm.com,
2: week in and week out. Find me on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton. And check out my podcast, Go Flix Yourself, F-L-I-X, on iTunes and other podcasting pa- platforms. We'll have uh, our special Star Wars discussion episode coming soon for everybody who just can't get enough of that hot debate.
1: <laughs> and I know everybody's going to be... Uh, excited to tell me how wrong I am on my top 10, you can do so at peter at slashfilm.com and you can also send your you know feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at that email address. Please leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention it on the air. Uh, You can find this podcast published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps, please go to iTunes, give us a rating, give us a review. Uh, that helps more people find us. And if you are generous, please post about us on your social media. Tell, tell people about us. Uh, that, that's how they can find us. Um, and uh, thank you for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.